This morning we're continuing that sermon series we started a couple of weeks ago where we made a New Year's resolution to try to deepen our faith this year, try to grow as disciples. And this morning we're going to be talking about uh, looking and listening for the Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago we talked about Scripture. Last week we talked about praying every day. This week we're going to be talking about looking and listening for the Holy Spirit. We'll be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, beginning with verse 5. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, John 16, beginning with verse 5. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away, for if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In 2007, my wife Julianne got the opportunity to travel with her church, some members of her church, to Egypt. I was quite jealous of it when I heard this story. I'd never been to Egypt before. And while she was there, she got to, to visit the Great Pyramids of Giza, those one of the wonders of the world. She came and told me all about it, how she went up and got to actually go inside the pyramid and see all the intricate passageways. So that actually goes down underground if you've never been there before. She talked about all the things she learned about the pyramids, how all of the blocks together are, are somewhere around like six million pounds of, of stone, and that, or six million tons, sorry, of stone. And then each stone itself could weigh up to 80 tons. It's a remarkable, remarkable feat of engineering. And each of the sides of the Great Pyramids face in the four cardinal directions, north, south, east, west, excuse me, west. And she learned all about the, the specifications and how, what a marvelous, marvelous feat it was. But then she asked them, and how did the people do this? And the tour guide said, it's a mystery. 
There are lots of different theories, of course, about how the the pyramids were built. It it probably took some 40,000 slaves 24 months just to build one of the pyramids. There are other theories that they had special tools that we haven't been able to find yet, tools of cutting the, the stone and putting them into place. There are all sorts of different ideas and all different theories, but it still remains a mystery. There are lots of mysteries like that in history, mysteries like that in nature, mysteries that we take for granted, in fact. Things like birds that migrate, that fly north and south during the seasons. We, some birds for generations and their families have flown the same patterns to the same nesting place every single year. And, and scientists wonder, how in the world do they know where they're going? They imagine that they're somehow using the magnetic field of the earth to guide their way, but they don't know exactly how they do it. It's a mystery, or even mysteries that we take for granted, like the glass in our windows. We just look through that glass out into the open, but we don't realize that glass is still a mystery to us. It acts like a solid. You can touch it and feel it. It won't move, but when you put it under a microscope, the molecules look like a liquid. Even now, scientists still do tests on glass to try to figure out these properties of why it looks one way and acts another. It's a mystery. There are mysteries of other animals, how animals live at the bottom of the ocean under that great enormous pressure and weight of the water. Even the mystery of the smallest molecule, the smallest particle that makes up matter. The the atom, as you know, has long since been smashed into ten times over smaller pieces. And we're wondering, what is the smallest piece of matter in the universe? It's a mystery to us. The world is filled with mysteries. And some people like mysteries. In fact, my wife, on a day that she has off, she'll sit and read a mystery on our couch all afternoon long. But I am a Presbyterian. I do not like mysteries. I like things, for, uh, for things to work decently and in order. I like to have things written out. I like to understand how things work. Not only things in the world, but things in our church and things in our faith. And maybe that's why me, along with many other Presbyterians, have a hard time with the Holy Spirit. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is a mystery. We can, you know, describe in somehow God the Father. We can articulate God the, the parent, the architect, the author, the creator of the universe. We can articulate God the Son. We can just read the gospel about Jesus Christ, the, the Redeemer, the one who lived and died and rose again for us, the one who loves us and sacrificed for us. But the Holy Spirit, it's like that word ruah, the, the word that means breath, wind, the word that we translate to spirit. It's something we can't grasp. It's something we can't put in a bottle and hold on to. It's a mystery. The great Presbyterian minister, uh, Robert McAfee Brown, was talking to a convert trying to teach them about the Trinity, and they were sitting looking at one of those stained glass windows, and in the window was a, a dove representing the Holy Spirit, and the convert looked at him and said, God the Father, I understand. God the Son, I understand. God the bird... I don't understand. But if we're going to keep our New Year's resolution this year and try to deepen our faith and grow as disciples, we have to learn to stop and look and listen for the Holy Spirit speaking to us. For the Holy Spirit is around us, guiding us every single day. 
That's what Jesus promises in our passage this morning. That's what he tries to tell the disciples to do. Our passage this morning actually takes place during John's version of the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. They have just shared that meal together. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, and now he is in a process of a a long period of teaching, maybe his final teaching to the disciples before he dies. And he tells them that he's about to leave them. He tells them that he's going away. And our passage tells us that the disciples are grieved by this, greatly confused by this, wondering what's going to happen to them. But then starting with chapter chapter 14 through chapter 16, Jesus tells them about the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth that will remain with them so that they will never, ever be alone. And if they just open their eyes and open their ears and open their hearts to this Spirit, that this Spirit will guide them and give them power to do great things to grow the church. Now, as maybe the disciples were good Presbyterians too, because it's hard to believe in something that we can't see, that we can't put our fingers on, that we can't wrap our arms around. And yet, if we'll open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts, we can see that the Holy Spirit is around us everywhere we go. I remember sharing this illustration with you all years ago, but when I was in probably middle school or something, I came home one summer afternoon. I had been swimming at the pool all day, and I was supposed to be cutting the grass. It was one of my chores that afternoon. But when I got home, my parents weren't home, and so I thought, well, if I just hide in the back room, They will forget to remind me, and I don't have to cut the grass on this hot summer day. And so I ran to my room and closed my door and thought, oh, they'll never know I'm here. Pretty soon my parents came in the driveway. My dad came right up to my room. Son, you need to cut the grass. I opened the door and said, how did you know I was here? He said, well, first you left your bike in the driveway. I couldn't park the car in the garage without moving it. I came in the kitchen and there was a bottle of Gatorade on the countertop. It needs to be back in the refrigerator. When I walked through the living room, the television was on and you left your wet towel on the couch. I didn't see you, but I knew you were there. You see, when we train our eyes and our ears and our hearts to look for the Holy Spirit, we can see evidence of the Holy Spirit all around us. And that's what Jesus tells those disciples to do. Now, he tells the disciples to train their eyes, their ears, their hearts to see the Holy Spirit first because he tells them the Holy Spirit will give glory to God. Whatever it is, wherever it is, it will always be pointing to the glory of God. And so if we train our hearts, train our minds by reading Scripture, praying, and following in the footsteps of Jesus, then when we see something pointing to God, we will know it is of God. The Spirit, the Spirit's voice guiding us, calling us, reminding us that we're not alone. Will Willimon, the great preacher, used to say that the Holy Spirit was one of the greatest self-communications of God that we have. God communicating to us right here, right now. And when we read Scripture, when we try to follow in the footsteps that Christ laid before us, that we can hear the Holy Spirit and even see the Holy Spirit guiding us step by step. 
We can see the Holy Spirit all around us in our marriages when we offer self-sacrifice and love and forgiveness. In our schools when we stand beside those people who are hurting and in need and they're being bullied. Out in the world when we see people standing up for those people who are hurting and rejected. When they're serving those neighbors around us in need. All of those things that point to God. We can see that the Holy Spirit is there guiding us speaking to us, calling us by name, telling us who we are called to be. This past week I was given a little treasure. It was a, a, a little devotional book written by a woman named Lynn Ibe. She's a parent, patient advocate at a hospital and a cancer survivor. And in the, in, the, in the devotional book, she begins by telling a story about how she and her husband were out on the Chesapeake Bay one Labor Day weekend with two friends of theirs. They had read the, the weather report before they went out, and it said there was going to be a big storm, kind of like the one we're having today. But they were experienced with a boatsman, and they knew they could handle it, so they decided to go out anyway. Soon they went out on the boat and the waves were kind of rocking and rolling. They thought it was funny at first until the storm got bigger and bigger and bigger, and finally they couldn't see where they were going. The waves were tossing them around, so much so that Lynn was getting seasick in the back of the boat. They had lost their way and couldn't tell where they were going. They had been out for a couple of hours and hadn't reached their destination yet. They should have been there long since by now. They started to debate with each other what to do, and Elizabeth, her friend, who was very experienced on boats, said, I know we're going in the right direction. We just need to keep pushing forward the way we're going. And Lynn's husband was, had been charting them. He said, no, I just think we're a couple of degrees off. If we turn that way, we'll, we'll head in the right direction. But Mark looked down at the compass in the boat. It said they were going south when they were supposed to go north. And as they debated, they said, no, there's no way that compass has to be wrong. I didn't notice us turning around in the midst of the storm, but Mark had a decision to make. Which voice was he going to listen to? And he chose to listen to that compass and turn that boat 180 degrees and go in the opposite direction. And sure enough, after a little while, he started to see buoys and channel markers, and they realized they were back where they belonged. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us when we look for those places that are pointing to God, then even though it might be difficult for us, it's pointing us in the right direction too. Those little voices, those little actions, those little symbols that remind us who God is and who we're called to be. It can happen at any time in any place. Once we train our eyes and our hearts to try to walk in those footsteps of Jesus, then we can see it in countless ways, in hospital rooms, in sanctuaries, out in nature, with our friends, with strangers, with enemies, even within ourselves. When we try to share those fruits of the Spirit with other people, it's then and there that we know God is speaking to us, guiding us, reminding us who we're supposed to be. The great Quaker theologian George Fox used to say to pay attention to those promptings of truth and love because those are the leadings of God. Promptings of truth and love. The truth about who we are. The truth about God loving us. 
And when we hear that guidance, when we have the courage to follow where that voice calls, well, then something happens that I think makes us Presbyterians very uncomfortable. We have power. Power that we can't get anywhere else in this world. I'm not talking about the power of money or the power of people in high places. No, I'm talking about that power that you can't find anywhere else. It's a power that gives you peace that surpasses understanding when the world seems to be falling apart. It's the power that gives you hope when everybody else around you is hopeless. It's the power that gives you the courage to take leaps of faith when those leaps of faith seem illogical to everyone else. Let me give you an example. When I was traveling years ago, I went on a mission trip to Lima, Peru. It was a wonderful experience. Got to share uh, the trip with some friends of mine from a previous church and I was really taken by one of the pastors that I got to meet there. He was about my age, but even though I was an associate pastor at my church in Charlotte, he had started five churches in and around the hills of of Lima. I was amazed by him. These little churches all throughout the hills were not only places that were overflowing with church members on Sunday, but then throughout the week there were schoolhouses for the children in the neighborhoods. They were places where doctors would come and provide little health clinics and checkups for the neighborhood's periodically. He told me about each of them. We even toured one. It was not a big place, but it was an impressive place. And he told me he was about to to start another one on another hillside just across town. I asked him all the Presbyterian questions. Well, how are you going to pay for that building, sir? And and who's going to put up the money for that? Who's going to give you the land? How are you going to do all these things? Have you done a survey of the neighborhood to make sure they want you there? And Uh, How do you know that people are going to come when you just put up this building? He answered all those questions. Well, with I don't know, it's happened before. But he said, I just pray, and it happens. I finally asked him, how can you be sure it will happen again? He looked at the translator and said something, and the translator smiled back at me and said, it's a mystery. The Holy Spirit is a mystery, but it's a mystery we have to learn to look for. It's a mystery we have to learn to trust. It's a mystery that we have to try to train our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears to follow and pay attention to, because it's that Holy Spirit that is leading us, guiding us, pointing us, pointing us in the direction of truth, and love to the glory of God. Amen.